0: Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life Podcast. I'm Angela Hauck and I'm super excited for today's episode, guys. I'm talking to Joe Herrenstein and I'm also making a big announcement of the two lucky winners for Lane Norton's book. So stay tuned because that's coming at the end of today's episode. So, Joe and I, we had an opportunity to sit down and talk all about off-season training. We also talk about why it is so important to have an off-season even prior to doing a competition prep or even prior to doing a fat loss phase, really. We talk about the habits that this phase can build and the habits that you're going to put in place so that your competition prep and your fat loss phase is incredibly successful. We talk about the skills that you need to build, we talk about the mental growth that happens throughout that period, and really just give you guys some great understanding on why you need to essentially plant the seeds before you expect them to grow. We talk about the biggest mistakes that we see with competitors. We dive into all of the components of a successful training plan and how to approach nutrition during your off season. Enjoy, guys. So, we have Joe Herrenstein in the house today. He is a 31 year old natural bodybuilding competitor, but during the day, you'll find him as a full time design engineer. He considers himself to be a very analytical kind of guy and has been really diving into his own personal journey as a competitive bodybuilder. So I'm really excited for you guys to learn more about Joe, learn more about his story. And the way that I connected with Joe originally was because we both have the same coach. So we're going to talk about that in today's call. We're also going to be talking all about how to have a really successful off-season. So welcome, Joe. It is great to have you.
1: Great to be on. Thank you.
0: Wonderful, so let's take everybody back to Joe at twenty years old. What was life like for you at that point?
1: uh, so I guess a little bit before that, you know, like I graduated high school uh, I went to college and you know really was not athletic at all. really had no interest in that whatsoever. I was into uh, other things at that time, and Um, so yeah, so I was, you know, six foot two, 150 pounds, skinny, scrawny kid. And sometime in college, I'm not really sure what, uh, what changed, but I decided that I no longer wanted to be that skinny kid anymore and decided to start going to the gym and, being kind of a engineering analytical type, uh, started doing a lot of research and reading anything I could really get my hands on to, uh, know where to, what to do, where to go, how to start. And so ended up finding a gym that was, uh, pretty quiet. I wasn't one to kind of go to the college gym and be around everybody else that, uh, I kind of thought at that time, at least, that would know more than I would, and I would feel out of place. So, started there and just kind of kept rolling from that and trying to learn as much as I could.
0: What was the driving force during that time? Like, for example, Joe, did you want to get bigger muscles just because you thought it was going to change your life in a certain way? Or what was essentially motivating you?
1: Uh, I think most of it was just that I was uh, kind of tired of being um, kind of insecure about how I looked, not that that was ever really something that uh, I'd say it held me back externally from other people or, or other people saying anything. Um, but it was more just internally, I wasn't happy with uh, with how I looked and how I felt and and so, just wanted to to make that change, and then, of course, that you know, part of that is is adding muscle and getting bigger. And um, so, yeah, so that's kind of what what drove that. Just wanted to to look better and feel better. And um, then, at some point during that time, uh, in the first couple of years of going to the gym, also came across some people that were into bodybuilding and. So from there, uh, kind of got interested in that, but knew that I had a long ways to go before, uh, ever getting there.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the interest in bodybuilding started for you, but how long was it that you were lifting before you actually decided to do your first show?
1: Um, I think I knew, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to, and then, you know, through life's up and downs and changes and that never was in a place where I thought that it was a good time to, to do that as well as I wanted to, um, I'm definitely someone who can be very competitive. And when I'm, when I am competitive, I want to be sure that I am doing the best that I can. So I kind of put that off for a long time um, until about, two years ago, I knew that I finally was uh, kind of ready to start taking steps toward actually making that happen. Um, But yeah, I would say, you know, kind of two years after, after finding the gym and lifting and that is when I I knew that somewhere down the road, I wanted to, to compete.
0: Mm -hmm. So what did you do at that point, then in terms of, structuring your training and structuring your nutrition with the mindset of, okay, I want to eventually compete. Like what did you do to ensure that you were preparing for that end goal?
1: Uh, I would say I've kind of run the gamut, especially when it comes to training as far as uh, training routines and workouts and, you know, from doing the the more typical bro split of, um, you know, one body part a day and, um, and then any kind of different training thing in there. I I did happen to find, um, people like Lane Norton and stuff early on that, uh, I did end up finding some good information. I think a lot of that came back to that I, took so much time to, to really research and dig into things. And I wasn't just uh, grabbing the magazine off the rack and and going with that. And then with nutrition, um, yeah, I mean, kind of all over the place again uh, from, you know, not having a clue when I started what macros were, what calories were, uh, how to make sense of any of that uh i knew that i wasn't eating enough for what i wanted to do and so really you know went through the a period of you know just kind of eating everything in sight and trying to put on anything which with how thin i was uh worked for a while and then um and then all the way to the other side of you know eating clean and you know chicken and rice and sweet potatoes and, uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, eventually working that into, uh, or, you know, finding and flexible dieting and figuring out how to make that work. And, uh, yeah, going from there.
0: Gotcha. Sounds like a period of, of experimenting quite a bit and kind of just trying different things, feeling things out both with nutrition and with training. And, and then you mentioned that about two years ago, you were ready to kind of give it a go, give bodybuilding a shot. Now, how did you connect with Paul and why did you decide that he was going to be your coach?
1: Um honestly, I don't remember where uh where exactly I came across Paul. I think I'd probably be probably been following him on on social media of some sorts for a good amount of time before that. Um I knew that there were a few people in the industry that I would be open to working with. And so really I just reached out to several coaches um via email or or their websites and just kind of started contacting them and seeing uh what what they offered, what things were like with them and um yeah, when I came across Paul and and realized that it was uh, going to be a possibility to work with him and knowing what I knew uh, about him and his uh, relationships with others in the industry and what he had built and um, the success of his clients, then that made that pretty easy to uh, jump on board.
0: Mm-hmm. Where did you guys start?
1: Uh, started so... Prior to starting working with Paul, knowing that I was going to compete, um, I had not dieted down for probably a couple of years prior to that even. Mm -hmm. So I was in a good place or fairly good place uh, metabolism wise. So really, I just tried to maximize that uh, for the first few months before starting with him. And really, we just continued that for... I think, three or four months uh, of just trying to, um, you know, minimize weight gain, but increase my food intake and training um, as much as possible, and then uh, from there, started prep, which was about, I think, five or six months. Mm
0: -hmm. And what do you think from the habits that you were establishing in your off-season and kind of building that foundation, what of those habits and those skills that you were working on, how do you think those helped you prepare for the prep or help you be successful with your prep?
1: I think the biggest thing there was, uh, I mean, to be honest, like that five or six months of prep is probably the easiest five or six months of diet, training, nutrition, everything combined that I've had. Uh, I think a lot of that comes down to uh, having that goal set and in sight. So it's a lot easier to, to keep that motivation when that does get hard. It certainly does, you know, is a difficult task, as, as you and I both know. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, you know, sticking to that in the off season is is much more difficult. And to take it seriously for a, a long, a long period of time, you know, it's easy to be like, well, I'm not going to compete for, you know, a year or two or whatever it is. And, you know, miss some workouts and and go off track on, on diet. And I think, you know, some of that is necessary to to make it fit your lifestyle. But it's also uh, difficult to take it seriously. So, I think for me, the biggest thing was that um I'd been doing that long enough and and could take that serious um, so that when it came time to prep, you know and and we flip that switch, it was easy to jump hundred percent on board and and just roll with it,
0: yeah, and I would honestly say too, a lot of it is very autopilot at that point when prep turns on because you've established. All of the habits that are going to make a prep very successful. You're already meal prepping. You're already being mindful about what foods are high in protein. And you're already like knowing how to navigate the gym. You're knowing where your strength levels are. You're just at a place where you've established all of these habits that make things very automatic for you to do it without a lot of brain power, which I think makes competition prep that much less exhausting. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's a lot easier to, to make the, you know, kind of lifestyle sacrifices that you have to make too, as far as, you know, maybe not being able to, uh, go out to eat or when you do, um, you know, not being able to eat what everybody else is having and kind of, Enjoy yourself that way, but at the same time, you're kind of getting the gratification of knowing what you're doing to to reach your goal of getting on stage.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm And do you think that all of your off-season training mentally prepared you for prep as well?
1: Absolutely. Um, like I said, it's it's much more difficult to to continue making that progress um because you're not seeing big changes especially when you have you know a little bit higher body fat percentage even if you do put on uh, a decent amount of muscle in some time period it's usually not something that you're going to see very much uh, as opposed to you know prep when when you lose a pound or two of body fat you notice it's a big change in the mirror and that really helps you know can help motivate you for the next week or two until you see more changes and and kind of get that that motivation again so i think really the you know pushing through that in the off season kind of builds the determination and and motivation is pretty easy to find in prep mhm mhm
0: absolutely absolutely i also feel like when it comes to the first time competition prep experience the foundation is really built in that off season can you tell me a little more about what your first time competitive experience was like from your starting macros to your ending macros your cardio stuff your posing stuff just everything about that whole first time preparing for your first bodybuilding show
1: Yeah, uh, it's definitely an experience. Um, I had kind of dieted down just to see what I could do probably, I think, four or five years prior to competing. And honestly, that time, granted, I didn't get nearly as lean, but that went a lot smoother than uh, my last prep here did. But um, yeah, so we started... Macro wise, you know, uh, I was around 215 pounds and, uh, macros were like 550 carbs, like 220 to 240 protein and a hundred grams of fat. So, uh, pretty high calorie. Um, I think Paul and I both, uh, did not think that I was going to lose as much as I did. Um, I did get down to like 173, 174 pounds. Uh, my macros toward the end, I think we were down to 100 to 110 carbs, uh, around the same protein, and I think around 40 to 45 fat maybe.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: And then, uh, yeah.
0: What about cardio? Uh,
1: cardio, so I mean, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, with Paul, I mean, try to keep cardio pretty minimal during the off season. So started with, uh, with basically none. Um, and then that got up to, uh, I think I had five missed sessions of an hour per week and, uh, we pulled it out toward the end, but, um, probably two to three weeks out from my first show, uh, I was doing also two hit sessions per week, so on top of the five hour miss sessions.
0: Mhm, mhm. And did you find that you just got to a point with the hit that you couldn't mentally um, give it?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. We talked about that with you know between myself and Paul, and uh, yeah, it kind of came down to like I just I was doing it and going through the motion, but really just could not push. Uh, push that to where I thought that I was getting much benefit out of it anymore.
0: Yeah, like your output capacity is just not there, or you're sacrificing your ability to be able to train your legs to your full capacity because they're recovering from the hit session as well. What would you say?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, recovery becomes difficult, especially when macros are that low. So you're certainly in a pretty good caloric deficit. And, um, I think too, like mentally, like it was just hard to know. I mean, you know, like if you're really pushing a hit session hard, um, at least for myself, like I do not feel good for probably an hour or two afterwards, I feel kind of nauseous and lethargic and just beat. And so to add that in on top of, of being in that deficit and prep, um, yeah, just mentally, like I couldn't push myself that hard with the hit anymore because I knew, like, while I'm doing it, that's in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. And so part of it, I think, was, like, I I would just tone down the volume or the the intensity of that because I knew that that was, you know, that that feeling was coming if I I really pushed it.
0: Mm -hmm. And you still have to function. Like, prep is a part of your life, but you still have to go to work. You still have to do all of the things that you – need to get done throughout the day and when you have a hit session that you finish it and you're like fuck I gotta do all this other <laughs> all this other shit like I can you don't even yep. you know, yeah 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 Yeah. I, I feel you on that for sure what was your what was your favorite part about prep or favorite part about competing in general
1: um I think uh the community and um you know where I'm at there's not uh, you know, not every other person in my gym is a competitor or anywhere you're close to. But, uh, you know, thankfully through uh, social media and I think the community of natural bodybuilding is just uh, phenomenal. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And getting to connect with so many people that were, that were also in prep at the same time. And, you know, you can kind of banter back and forth and, and bounce things off of each other and kind of push each other that way. And uh, yeah, and just building those relationships and getting to to be around the like minded people, um, you know, via social media and that. So uh, yeah, so certainly the community and 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 getting to know others.
0: Mm -hmm. And what about the worst stuff? What was what was the worst part of prep for you?
1: Um, time commitment for sure. Uh, you know, like I said, like I had like five hour cardio sessions um, I was training six days a week usually those were you know hour to hour and a half training and then that cardio on top of that so I was going to the gym before and after work and uh, yeah so for sure just just time commitment and figuring out how to fit it all in
0: mm-hmm. granted
1: that it was kind of a benefit too because keeping that busy obviously kind of keeps your mind off of how hungry you actually are so (laughs) (laughs) so there is that benefit to it but uh, yeah yeah kind of not fun when you feel like you live at the gym more than you're at home so Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um now what about the biggest mistakes you see from competitors or, or people that are stepping on stage what what do you see when you look around or when you're at a show
1: uh, to me, I think the biggest thing is just not taking taking enough time to either build a base if it's if it's your first show, or not taking off enough time between shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen. I think I think girls are especially more apt to this because uh, I think it's just the the love of. The being on stage and, and kind of going through that process, um, but not really understanding that um, you know that if you're if you're doing this to be competitive and do better, that you're going to have to take time away from that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've seen several people that have competed. You know, every you know six months or you know around that time period and. You know, every single show placing worse and worse and worse because uh, their body just can't take being in that deficit that much, and uh, and you know, you're just sacrificing muscle, uh, you're sacrificing your metabolism, and you're just fighting your body that whole time.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say it too. To kind of further expand on that, one of the biggest frustrations I have when it comes to I don't know, competitors or just the entire space is that I think a lot of people just want to, they want to get more muscle and they want to look better. And they, they, they really, they, they don't understand that if you're going to compete as a natural competitor those things take so long like they just see these girls that look amazing and they don't understand that like if that natural competitor has like done it right they've probably spent a couple years doing that and I think it's really hard to get people to wrap their brain around that like that you might it might take you multiple years to get to that same level and I think that's the frustration that I have even with conversations with people is that like they come to me, they got, not, they got nothing as a base, and I'm like, if you want to look like this person that you're showing me a picture of, or you want to win this show, or you want to go pro, or whatever, you're going to have to work with me for multiple years. And when you lay that down for them, they're like, no, it's not going to take that long. It's like, how long do you think muscle <laughs> takes to grow? It's like... You can't, you can't expect that we're going to build for like three months, and all of a sudden you're going to have massive delts. It's just, it's not going to happen, right? And I think it's really, yeah, women are worse than than men for this, I think for sure. But it's just like not having the patience of it is going to take a really long time for you to be be able to grow grow those muscles.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, you know, and that's really why. Um, you know i I really didn't have a timeline as, as far as when I wanted to compete uh when I was kind of first introduced to bodybuilding and knew that someday I wanted to do it um so I think I was pretty lucky in the fact that uh for whatever reason that I was okay with with waiting and I wanted to to build that base and have something to to actually show yeah. And uh, you know, I think a lot of it too is that um kinda like with anything, like people see the end result and they don't realize all of the time and the sacrifice and everything it takes to get there. You know, whether that's, you know, a job or a business or, or bodybuilding or anything, it's easy to see where somebody is at and not understand everything it took to get there. So I think really realizing that and and like I said, too, um, you know, with offseason and building that is, you know, once you fall in love with that process, then, you know, then the prep and then all that stuff just kind of falls in place. But, uh, yeah, for sure, building that base is is very critical. I mean, otherwise, I think uh, I think you see a lot of people that jump on stage, haven't spent the time to build that base and get frustrated with the uh, with the result and and the process.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. So what would you say are the components of a successful off season training um strategy?
1: Um, so really I would say like I guess first I'd say like there's not I don't see a whole lot of difference necessarily between like off season training versus uh training during prep other than um off season is obviously the time that you are going to make improvements. Um, any training during prep really isn't a time to expect a whole lot of change. Um, you are in a deficit. You know, maybe if you are newer and and not haven't built that base, then you might see some some recomp changes. But um, really, I think it's it's just critical or more critical during the off season. So, really, I think. There's several components to that. I think all of it kind of comes down to uh, programming and having a good program, and then sticking with that for a long, long period of time, and not not changing and jumping around and, and doing a lot of different things. I know I certainly did that when I when I started, not knowing what I know now. And uh, you know, now my program has been the same since I finished my last prep, and it's just kind of doing the same thing over and over and over.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Let's expand on that further. So some people think that we always have to do something different to be able to see results. And I'd like to kind of clarify how you feel about it and why you've been doing kind of the same structure um and how you've seen benefit in that, Joe.
1: Yeah, so I mean I think uh if you really look at research and what's been done, uh it's pretty clear to see that, um, you know, when you start performing a different movement and whether that's, uh, I think the time period kind of changes depending on how different the movement is. But if you're switching back and forth, uh, you know, between barbell presses and dumbbell presses and incline and decline and flat, uh, if you're changing that frequently, I think a lot of people, um... When they make those changes, they get kind of uh, excited because they they're able to make such big leaps in progress right away. You know, the the first time they go to do a different movement, they can do one weight, and the next week when they go to do it, they can do you know ten pounds more or or even more, and. I think a lot of times people feel like that that is is making progress, which is somewhat is, but most of the progress is being made in your body and your neurological system being able to adapt to that and and be more efficient at that movement, even though it may not be significantly different than a movement you were doing before, but most research research shows that you know. 3 to 6 weeks um that you'll see adaptations uh, neurologically from that.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Gotcha. And do you feel as though there are certain components of your plan that should always remain the same and then certain components of your program that should vary or change over time?
1: Uh, you know, I think Like, I think, to my opinion, that um, like the movements that you're performing and choosing, um, my idea on that is that I try to keep most of those uh, fairly similar. Uh, If I feel like something, if I for, you know, leverage is change or something changes and I don't feel that a movement is uh, recruiting the muscle that I want to recruit and maximizing that recruitment then I may look for a different movement to accomplish that better. But other than that, I like to keep my movements in my program um, or, the, or the movements that I'm doing during my program consistent as much as possible so that I can really focus on maximizing the, the muscle recruitment that I'm getting when performing those.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. I would agree with I would agree with that as well. Now, would you say that your volume throughout your off season has any sort of change? Like for example, do you do six week blocks where you're doing more volume and then other blocks where you're doing less volume? Or how do you structure that part of it, Joe?
1: Yeah, so um I actually have Paul uh doing my training now and laying out my training. So, uh, as you're familiar with, um, and I think most people are, he takes kind of a nonlinear approach to most training. Uh, so we vary the, the kind of intensity or, or rep ranges throughout the week. And, um, you know, volume is obviously, a, a component of, you know, sets, reps and weight. So, when I'm looking to make, uh, improvements in a certain movement, um, yeah, just trying to increase that in some fashion, whether that is adding an extra rep or, or an extra set or a little bit extra weight. Uh, in my opinion, a lot of people get kind of caught up in feeling like they need to, you know, add five pounds to a movement every week, and that can obviously get pretty frustrating when you can't anymore because that's not going to be very sustainable. So I really like to look at it, you know, that I'm trying to add a small amount in the course of a year. You know, if I can lift 10 more pounds or, or 15 more pounds on a movement, you know, a year from now, because I'm training for physique and not for powerlifting or, or uh, athletic sport like that. That, you know, if I can add a rep every week, then obviously over time, I'm going to be able to do more. And then, you know, once I'm kind of at the top of of a rep range that I'm looking at to perform, then that's when I'll add some more weight and drop that rep range back down um, and then try to increase that volume uh, again from there.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of those small muscle groups, the goal is not to go crazy heavy for a lateral raise or to go crazy heavy on a bicep curl. Like, I think some people who are new to training feel as though if I keep on adding more weight, that's the only way to progress the movement. When really, if we can just contract the muscle as hard as possible and master the movement, your lateral raises are probably going to max out and just kind of stay there for most of your lifting career. What do you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, really, I think especially on those those smaller movements where maybe you're doing, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20-pound dumbbells or something like that. Obviously, adding five pounds is a, a significant weight increase. Uh, so, yeah, and you in, even adding an extra rep may be a pretty good increase. So, you know, that's a good spot to where maybe you, you can do another set or, um, or really just focus on the movement and, and maximizing the muscle recruitment. And uh, so essentially just being able to perform the movement better and have a better mind-muscle connection and uh, and get more recruitment that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you found that that's got better for you over time? I know for me, like my ability to contract and recruit a muscle now versus a couple of years ago is just so much higher than I would try really hard and early on in my lifting career. But now I just feel like I'm able to and I have that um, neurological connection to the muscle in a way that I know I didn't earlier on in my career. What would you say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it takes takes some time. Um, I think that time can kind of be shortened if you have somebody uh, kind of leading the way, you know, that you're, you're working with in person that can help you facilitate and understand what you should be feeling and how that's supposed to feel and how to, to build that connection. But I think either way, it takes it takes time. And I would even say that I still focus on that a lot now and, and always will because that connection is, is going to be more beneficial when you're trying to uh, recruit as much muscle fiber as possible.
0: Um, I think it's just always... Knowing that we're trying to become better masters of our craft, like, we don't want to get complacent and be like, yeah, I know how to do it now, right? Like, we still want to go into every lifting session, trying to master what it is that we're doing versus being like, yeah, I know what I'm doing now kind of thing, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Now how do you know if you're doing too much volume or, or doing too much like what what are the signals that you get when you're pushing too hard?
1: Really, I think the biggest thing for myself at least is is just feeling fatigued. Um, you know if I can't go in and push or I start trying to move a weight that I should be able to move, You know, on any other day, and that isn't moving very smooth, then that's a good signal to me that uh, we're pushing a little too hard or or the volume is a a little too much. Um, And not that necessarily it's that the volume is too much, it's just that I need more time to recover or, um, you know, need to adapt to that a little bit. So, yeah, just knowing that feeling and and knowing when to back off there is, is obviously important. So, Yeah, to me, it's, you know, I just monitor how I feel when I'm performing movements.
0: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you ever go into the gym with one game plan, and then based on the signals that your body is giving you, completely switch the game plan?
1: Uh, I try not to, but I think that's where, um, you know, unless I'm getting to that point where fatigue is getting high, um, and whether that's fatigue is getting high because recovery isn't good or because sessions have been extra hard or or whatever that is. But, um, you know, that's probably the time that then it's kind of back off, go through the motions and uh, keep moving just to move and save that for another day.
0: Mm-hmm. I know for me in prep right now, there's some days when I'm supposed to, do I guess like let's say high rep versus heavy and not with my most recent training plan but prior to I had two leg days one that was like heavy lifting and one that was those high um those high reps so what would happen is I would go in and it might be my day to do heavy lifts and I would go to pull my first deadlifts and I'd be like nope, not today we got to do high rep or vice versa. Did you ever have that either in prep or in your off season when you kind of have that um, happen for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, just last week, um, you know, the week prior, I had the end of my training block. And so weight is getting pretty high at that point. So I'm pulling a pretty good amount of weight for not too many reps. So I had some heavy deadlifts and uh, a leg press instead of squat. But pretty heavy leg presses, uh, push through the rest of that workout. And so that definitely taxes you know a person. And so the next workout that I went to do, that was when I definitely realized that uh that, that fatigue is pretty high. So instead of doing the uh what was planned that day, then that's that's a good time for me to back the weight off a little bit, maybe increase the the reps uh slightly and then really just focus more on the movement and try to maximize muscle recruitment um, just from focusing on it. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that intuitiveness comes after having a couple of years training in the gym as well. Like I think when I first was starting, I was always like, always to failure, push, 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 push. And in time, I've come to realize that that is not the most effective strategy. Pushing through the pain is not necessarily our best approach. Um, Sometimes just listening to those signals that the body is giving to you and becoming really aware about what is going on is a way smarter way to approach training all around.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, early on, it was more building the... The connection to is my body fatigued from what I'm doing, or recovery, or is it just that my my motivation isn't there that day, and that you know uh, my mind is just not in it that day, and and kind of being able to separate those, and and that definitely just takes takes time and learning to get to that point.
0: Hmm. Hmm. For sure. Now let's talk about nutrition in the off season. So you talked about the first time that you were kind of just like, let's just eat anything and everything. <laughs> So we have that as being like one of the off-season strategies. Now, what's the off-season strategy for you right now? Is there kind of a certain weight that you want to be around? Or how are you structuring your nutrition to know that you're maximizing your gains?
1: Yeah, so uh, like right now for myself, uh, staying a little leaner than I did before starting last prep. Uh, So sitting around like 200 pounds, so a good – twenty five pounds over stage weight which is uh I feel like a good spot for me I can perform well here any heavier and I really do kind of start to feel like that uh, kind of has some diminishing returns there just not being able to to move as easily and and perform as athletically mm mm-hmm. um so yeah so nutrition wise um obviously work with Paul again to lay that out, but you know I try to um I keep it pretty simple, you know, 75, 80% of the time I try to eat, I'll say like whole foods, um, and then, you know, fill in the rest with, uh, other things that I want to have, whatever those are, you know, (laughs) all the, the junk food or, or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, yeah, just try and be smart about it. And, um, and then figure out just kind of what nutrition timing works for myself and playing around with that to um, to try and maximize performance.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you come to any conclusions about what works really well for you, Joe?
1: Somewhat. Um, so I used to train um, throughout prep and then uh, the first part of my off-season, I was training at um, around 5 o'clock in the morning and definitely found that having a – a majority of my carbs, um, you know, I'd say seventy-five to hundred of my carbs right before or shortly before bed, and then um, and then a small load of carbs right before working out definitely worked best for myself. Uh, although I did find, especially after um, competing, that um, you know I would finish working out and then I would uh, eat again within about an hour or so of that. And that seemed to just kind of start a, a fire in my stomach, I guess you could say. And I would be incredibly hungry for, you know, the next four to six hours after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely a struggle with training in the morning, especially, um, especially post competition, because, uh, you know, you're increasing your food, but that hunger just never really goes away for, for quite a while. Um, so I used that when I was training in the morning, and now I, I train in the afternoon. So, um, yeah, I, I try and have three, uh, I would say, pretty even meals throughout the morning uh, or throughout the day. And then uh, I work out, and then uh, usually a quick post-workout, carb and protein sort of post-workout, and then um, a pretty normal meal again in the evening before bed. So.
0: Hmm, cool. That all sounds good. Now, you mentioned a little bit about coming off your show and feeling as though we're not really ever satisfied because our hunger and our fullness cues are not going off. That's very, very common coming off of a show. So how long do you think it took before you felt as though your hunger was kind of at bay and your fullness was going off again in terms of the signals that you were receiving from your body?
1: Uh, I think it was probably good three to four months before I really was kind of at a comfortable place where I'm not, um, no, you know, not ravishingly hungry, uh, during periods of the day. Uh, yeah. uh, Yeah. Around three to four months.
0: Were there other processes that you felt as though needed to get back to normal once your prep was over?
1: Um, I think just, just feeling better, uh, all around, um, you know, kind of getting, getting feeling better again, mentally and, and kind of that relationship with food. Uh, you know, I definitely struggled with that, even though I knew it was, it was going to come and that it was going to be there. Um, just that mental, mental struggle there of, of not, not wanting to eat everything in sight, and and knowing that I needed to uh to proceed with some caution there, um,
0: did you reverse diet or recovery diet or what did you do with your macros after your show?
1: Um, you know, I would say kind of somewhere in the middle. Uh, we didn't get crazy aggressive, but we did um bring those up uh, a decent amount. I know the kind of recovery diet and reverse diet kind of get thrown around a lot, and I'd say you know somewhere in the middle, um, we added a decent enough amount of food that I felt better, but not so much that uh, you know that all caution was was thrown away and and just increased a crazy amount.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Do you have any problems with your sleep throughout prep, Joe?
1: I really didn't much. Um, You know, I'd say toward the end, maybe here and there, but I think the biggest thing there was that I tried to and did a pretty good job of staying very active and busy. Um, You know, obviously, uh, you know, work normal jobs. So at work, you know, eight to five during the day, I was at the gym before and after that. And then um, in the evening, just trying to keep myself busy. And so I think most of the time I was so exhausted and fatigued by the time bedtime came that, uh, I didn't really have a whole lot of trouble sleeping. Um, I also, uh, utilized, uh, products from core, uh, you know, alpha hard and test. And I think those definitely made a significant difference, um, in in hormone regulation and my ability to sleep and function normally so
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know for me mine's never falling asleep but I will have like these funky nights where it'll be like an hour and a half to two hours in the middle of the night where I'm up and I'm like trying to fall back asleep and i'm having like the craziest stupidest dreams about prep related things and i'm like, "Okay, brain, stop it. <laughs> stop thinking." Oh, but yeah, we're getting pretty close now. So, it it's not a every single night sort of thing, but it's definitely at least one night a week I'll have like just a really really funky off night, but uh but yeah, we'll be I'll be sure to put the core nutritional stuff in the show notes for you guys if you're interested in checking out the products that joe is mentioning there now joe i know you're a researcher very analytical kind of looking online to get information about everything so what are your favorite sources for inspiration and education about training and nutrition
1: uh well i guess i'll start with our great coach paul
0: yeah <laughs> um, yeah
1: he definitely puts out uh, quite a bit of information um you know, throughout the years, that's kind of changed as far as where I have found a lot of information. Uh, like I said, early on, I had found a lot of information and a lot of my base from uh, Lane Norton, and he had a lot of great content, especially on like com. And uh, now, um, you know, I would say it's kind of all over and I'm always kind of looking for for new things. And I try to keep a a pretty open mind as far as any information that I do take in. Um, I try to make sure that I don't, you know, jump on board anything really quick without kind of vetting that and making sure that that makes sense to myself. Um, so really I try to find information from as many sources as possible. Um, you know, there's a lot of easy ways anymore to search, uh, search for research papers. So I really like to try and find um, anything that is kind of, you know, research documents to, to read through those and try to understand that and making sure that I'm not, you know, just reading the, the abstract and, um, but that I'm digging into it and really trying to find uh, how I can take that information and apply it. Um so yeah, so research papers, um, and just kind of looking around and, and finding as many sources as possible.
0: Cool. And how do you know if something is a good source or something that is like how do you analyze a piece of information and know if it's something that is worthy or something that is worth uh, looking more into?
1: I think for me it's just something that takes time. Um you know, I never, like I said, I never jump on board with the the first thing that I read about something new or different. Um, and also, I think over time, you know, you, you can kind of get an idea to where credible sources of information are. Um, once you spend enough time looking at enough different sources, Uh and then, like I said, obviously always kind of taking that with, with a grain of salt and and knowing that it might not be 100% right and it might not be 100% wrong either.
0: I would even say, too, that like the space of nutrition and training, we're just really getting started with a lot of it in terms of the research. So things that we once believed and a couple years ago, we were thinking like, oh yeah, this is absolutely what we believe to be true or what we think is the most effective method for something. Then a few years later, we're kind of going back and they're doing more research and and really disproving everything that we believed a few years ago. So I think even approaching it from a perspective of we know as much as we know right now, but also being open-minded from the standpoint of in time, we may know more, but right now, we're just kind of getting started with both of those fields. What would you say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know anytime that I'm asked for specific advice on on what to do, whether that's training or nutrition, uh, I always kind of struggle with that because it's so hard to give specifics when um, I think there's a lot of stuff that we, that A, we don't necessarily know, and that uh on the flip side too can be so different from individual to to individual um you know whether that is with nutrition or training um you know some people are going to feel you know maybe feel better on higher fat versus higher carb and perform better that way and then you'll have some that are the opposite of that so i think really it's it's just kind of learning as much as you can and then kind of uh you know, experimenting with that with yourself and and see how how you respond and how you feel and being realistic about uh, kind of not being married to any particular way and and just keeping an open mind with that. Um, you know, I, I, like when it comes to training, like for myself, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there. I would say that you know that you have to squat. You know, the, the squat is is kind of the the thing you have to do. And I don't think I have squatted in well over a year now. Mm -hmm. Um, Me either. I I don't get uh, a whole lot of quad recruitment out of it, which is really what I am using it for. And, um, you know, performing a high amount of reps with that uh, really taxes me a lot more from uh, bracing and, and, and all of that rather than muscle recruitment so i choose you know leg presses or other movements that maximize that recruitment. So yeah, i mean it all comes down to kind of experimentation with yourself and and figuring out what works for you as an individual.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Absolutely. And i think we all just have our own unique anatomy that we have to work with when it comes to bodybuilding cuz i think some people can get really married to a particular exercise, but based on their anatomy, that piece of equipment or that particular movement pattern is just not well suited for them. Like fitting into a particular machine may be a terrible idea based on your anatomy. So I think even separating ourselves from like, Oh, I have to do this particular movement because I've heard that it's going to be really fantastic for this. If, it doesn't feel that way for you. I think we just need to separate ourselves from the idea that that exercise is the best exercise because it's very possible that that exercise isn't going to give you as much benefit as what something that was better suited for your anatomy would give you.
1: Absolutely. I think I like to, like when I speak of training, you know, I like to talk a lot more in kind of concepts.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, not necessarily specifics or movements because it's going to be different for individuals, um, you know, based on limb length and muscle attachments, and I mean, really, obviously, at the end of the day, like we're talking specifically about training for a physique sport.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, if you
1: get into performance, then that's a whole different conversation there. But yeah, um, when you're specifically talking about physique, you know, we're looking for the maximum muscle recruitment. Yeah. So if that's a dumbbell press over a barbell press, then and that maximizes the recruitment for a certain individual, then, you know, that's absolutely the move that they should be focusing on
0: hmm Like even for me, anytime I do chest presses with a bar versus dumbbells, I can get a way better contraction in my chest if I'm using dumbbells than if I'm using the bar just based on the movement pattern, based on my anatomy. And so I just choose to use dumbbells instead of being married to the idea of having to use a bar. Can you think of any movements for you that feel better with a different piece of our equipment?
1: Yeah, well, like I mentioned, like, uh, you know, uh, squats for myself that I haven't done for a long time. And I just choose to do leg press instead. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and then, um, you know, I used to like conventional deadlift a lot and that was, you know, I had played around with sumo here and there, but never really, uh, did it a whole lot because I didn't feel it a whole lot. And now after contest prep, uh, conventional deadlifts just did not feel very good and so I started playing around with sumo and I feel a lot lot more muscle recruitment in hamstrings and glutes and so now I use that as as kind of my primary builder for those um yeah and then I think the the rest of it all kind of depends uh on person to person um Mm -hmm. you know like uh you know I like dumbbells for hammer curls, but I don't necessarily prefer them as much for, you know, like a supinated curl. I'd rather use a cable and use a range of motion that works more appropriate with that and a loading that works more appropriate with that uh, for that particular movement. So,
0: mm hmm, mm hmm. Yeah, and I think it's playing around with it, right? And playing around with that over time and then leaning on your strengths or leaning on the things that do feel really best for you. But, uh, yeah, we are almost uh, – we're already at an hour here, Joe, so we better get to our final questions. That was by really quickly today. Um, but, yeah, who do you look up to for inspiration?
1: Uh, that would be a pretty long list, <laughs> I think. Um, Maybe top three. Sure. Uh, definitely Paul Reveglia, Um I'd say Doug Miller. And we'll go with those two for now.
0: <laughs> cool. That is fantastic. And where can people find you online?
1: Uh, I'm primarily on Instagram um, at Herenstein, and uh, or if you can come across me on Facebook, you can certainly add me there too. Cool.
0: That is great. Now I end every podcast in the same way. So, Joe, how would you like to be remembered?
1: Uh, it's definitely something that I I think about the older and older I get, and the more time that goes, um, I think through you know my fitness journey and and where I'm going with that uh, is just to try and help as many people as possible uh, it's definitely changed my my take on life my outlook on life and um, definitely made me a much more uh, confident and outgoing person than I was uh, prior to starting that and so, yeah, so just, uh, just as somebody who has helped other people um, be a better version of themselves.
0: I love it. That's awesome, Joe. Well, I want to commend you and thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I know people are going to get lots of value from everything that you've shared. Now, are you planning to compete again?
1: Uh, yeah, I do have plans to compete again. I don't know for sure when. Mm-hmm. Uh. When I got done competing uh, last November uh, of 2017, my plan from there was three to five years before I step on stage again, um, which I know always kind of surprises a lot of people. But uh, like we've kind of talked about a lot today, that off season is definitely very critical and it takes a lot of time to to really build something. And when I do decide to step on stage again, I want to, um, want to ensure that I, uh, have made significant improvements that I am, uh, you know, pro material. And, um, so yeah, so two, three, five years, we'll kind of see where that goes.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yeah that's exactly what I was uh or what I did as well and I it was the best time I ever spent as much as at the time it was like I don't want to step away from the stage I like competing but I was looking around and was like okay everybody that I'm up against in these figure categories is at least 30 so I feel like if I don't spend the time now doing it There's no way I could be competitive, but definitely your your peak for your natural bodybuilding years, I think, like, they only get started in your early 30s, and then they just kind of get better as you get close to 40, to be honest.
1: Yeah, and that's really part of what drew me to uh, actually deciding to compete is, is, you know, I looked at it, and I'm like, I don't have to, you know, do this in the next couple of years, you know, when I was in my early 20s, because... I have my 30s and my 40s and beyond to to keep competing and be competitive in it. So,
0: Mm -hmm. um, like, there's not that short timeline the way that some sports are. Like, you play football or you play baseball, and like, now is the time when you have to do it because you're eventually going to get too old to be able to do the sport. It's kind of like backwards with bodybuilding if you're a natural bodybuilder, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. you know, growing up, I rode dirt bikes and and did that stuff a lot, and I thought about you know taking that a little more competitively, but you know, and I'm looking at it going, you know, by the time guys reach 25, they're they're almost done, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm like, I don't have that, doesn't leave a whole lot of time on the table, and what am I gonna do after that? So
0: exactly, yeah, exactly. Um. Cool. Well, thank you again, Joe. I hope you have a good rest of your day. And uh, yeah, I really, really do appreciate everything that you shared today.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you having me on.
0: All right. Take care.
1: Yep. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Oh, what a great interview. I'm so grateful that Joe was able to come on and give some insights into the period of growth and muscle building and just give you guys some Great nuggets that you're going to be able to apply on your own personal journey. Now for the moment that you guys have all been waiting for the two winners of Lane Norton's brand new contest prep guides are Stacey Clark and TJ Irwin. So if you guys want to send me an email, let me know that you listened to the podcast, that you found out that you were the winner. I'll make sure that you guys are squared up right away with those free books. And thanks again to everybody who had left a rating and a review. Know that I'm really, really grateful that you took the time to do that. That's how more people can discover our podcast and that's really how we can get our message out and spread across the world. That's a wrap for another episode, guys. I am currently almost to peak week before my show, so you're gonna wanna head on over to YouTube and see what the final push looks like. Essentially, we are really, really close to competition time, and, and although I feel fantastic when I'm recording this podcast, it's definitely a roller coaster of emotions as the week unfolds. One moment I feel fantastic, I'm super excited, feeling fan- like really, really, really good. And then I'm like, whoa, in slot mode on the couch. So it's kind of like riding the roller coaster each day. But overall, the general emotion is excitement. I'm excited to hang out with my UFE family, which is the organization that I compete with. And I just know it's going to be a blast. Win or lose, this journey has been absolutely incredible. It has been so much fun sharing it with all of you. And that's it for this week, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time. Bye for now.